It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you all. It's Tuesday the 23rd of May. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business on what by all accounts, is a glorious evening right across the Midlands. And uh, that aside, I have a bumper schedule of stuff coming for you this evening. So what have I got between now and 8 o'clock? Well, I'll be joined by Regina Bushell, the Managing Director of Groveland's Childcare. Uh, Regina has recently been elected as Chair of Childhood Services Ireland, the Renaibeck Trade Association, representing childcare providers. Regina will point out and, and really detail the significant challenges that that sector faces. And I guess I'll put it to Regina too, that given the record exchequer returns that are expected for the next couple of years, what needs to be done, what investment is needed in that sector to really help, I suppose, that squeeze middle, middle that we hear referred to so often, the people who are effectively paying a second mortgage on childcare alone. So looking forward to being joined by Regina on that a little bit later. Also, on the 1st of June, Bournemouth will hold Ireland's Sustainable Future 2023. It's a conference that will take place in Tullamore Court Hotel. I'll be joined to hear more about that by Elaine Negi, Strategic Project Manager at Board Namona, and also by Sharon Doyle, Head of HR and Corporate Affairs, who'll speak about Board Namona's long-term commitment to climate action. And also... Um, Theresa Hand Campbell Theresa since we last spoke to her last month has been awarded an all-star an All-Ireland Business Foundation all-star uh, for her work as an organisational psychology consultant and Theresa will be along later to talk about psychological safety in the workplace and psychological contracts and also that key topic that is often overlooked and, and Theresa will argue is still being overlooked that area of diversity equality and inclusion in our workplaces plenty coming here on Taking Care of Business to join that conversation get in touch with me live here in the studio on 083 103 that is our text and WhatsApp number and I would be delighted to hear from you but first this evening I'm going to introduce you to an organisation a not-for-profit social enterprise called Grow um, Grow It Yourself and this was set up in Ireland in 2008 and it supports people all over the world to live healthier, happier and more sustainable lives by growing some of their own food. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone at this minute by Nell Ward and Nell is Director of Development at GIY. Nell, a very good evening to you. Hello Ron, how are you? I'm absolutely fantastic and enjoying that great spell of weather but Nell, you've put an ambitious call out there to try to raise 1 million euros um, aimed at a new education programme for primary school children all around food education and mental health but before we get into the details of that this is based on a kind of a pilot programme you ran for about four years there can you take us through that and what some of the key findings from it were? Yeah, sure. So, as you mentioned, uh, Ron and Joe, I are a social enterprise. So, I suppose our role, our little role in the world, as we see it, is to teach people how to grow food. Um, and that sounds like a very simple aim, and it is. Um, and I suppose what we're doing is about sort of removing barriers, you know, to food growing um, in all sorts of communities or um, settings, like communities and schools and workplaces and all that. So, but what we have run out or rolled out the last four years is what we call our Grow at School program. And the Grow School programme is effectively, it's a school garden programme um, for primary schools right across Ireland. So um, I suppose in terms of uh, how we've learned about it, first and foremost, we've learned what works 
uh, you know, we all know schools are a very, very busy um, environment and there's lots going on. Um, but I suppose GOI overall have been running kind of school programs and education programs for over 10 years um, in Ireland and the UK. Um, but really, I suppose what we found that, you know, to really sort of get something embedded within schools, that this sort of school garden approach is really the one that works. Um, so what we have um, piloted over the last um, four years, so initially in about 30 schools, um, is the school garden programme. So effectively what we do is we provide, as we say, a, a garden in a box where, you know, a school gets four raised beds. You know, we provide classroom resources and kits and materials and then teacher training and support. So literally everything a school and a teacher and a classroom need to learn how to grow food successfully. I'm going to hazard a guess that was the reason that an organisation like GIY was set up was to to really maybe make people just to not just re-educate them, but actually to give them an awareness of where our food is coming from. And now, you know, 10 years later, when you know, the where food is coming from and that whole kind of provincy thing, um, it's hugely important as well. Were you shocked by what you saw, the kind of reaction in schools and maybe the lack of awareness around where our, our food is actually coming from? Yeah, that's exactly it. But the whole reason we do what we do is that, number one, you know, growing your own food, it's a lovely thing to do. You know, you have access to healthy, nutritious food and all the benefits of that. Um, but I suppose the, the main reason is because we know that sort of growing food, it's a really, really sort of important environmental action. And for exactly one of the reasons you said there, that it kind of connects us back into where our food comes from. Um, you know, and I think... I wouldn't say we're we're not shocked at the lack of knowledge, but what we're always continually surprised at is the reaction of kids. You know, they just really get it. Um, like you hear great stories as well, you know, that sort of kids can understanding that, you know, peas grow in pods and, you know, they don't come from the fridge in the supermarket, that, you know, Brussels sprouts grow on stalks and all that sort of, I suppose, change in awareness that, that happens when you start to grow your own food. And just when you're part of the experience, I think it's kind of a really exciting part of it as well. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's all about connecting kids um, and adults, you know, it's very much a sort of a family sort of impact as well, but it's all about connecting kids back into where their food comes from. Um, and I suppose, you know, the reason we do that is because, you know, we all know that food is grown locally or globally and shipped around the world and all that sort of a thing. But what we want um, is for kids at a really, really early age, number one, to understand kind of where their food comes from. Um, and number two, I suppose what we see happens when, when this kind of understanding starts happening is that, you know, kids adopt a different understanding. They kind of look at their carrots and go, actually, I understand where they came from. You know, maybe I'll eat them now. I'm not going to just kind of leave them on the plate. And all this kind of change in behaviour um, that happens. And listen, you know, I think we all know that it's really important to get these kind of positive behaviours in early, um, you know, and have that sort of embedded as well into kind of what we're teaching in, in primary schools. Um, so, yeah, really, really important, I think, to sort of, I suppose, give kids that, you know, that education, but also that empowerment, you know, that they're sort of part of their food system as well, which is really, really important. And I'm sure there's also a discovery of the actual taste of a fresh vegetable as opposed to one that's travelled the world and been washed and put in a false environment in order to look good on our supermarket shelves and you know, all of which is, is hugely important. But I suppose you've taken this, like, you know, you, you, really, you really are driving this campaign as well. And last summer you presented or you made a submission to the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Education, Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science, proposing that Grow at School be implemented and support as a national food programme. Um, what was the outcome of that and are, are you getting support at government level on this? Yeah, so indeed, I suppose, you know, programmes like Grow School, I think, I suppose we think they're really important because for three reasons. Number one, as I said, they teach kids about, you know, the food system or where the food comes from. It's also really important as a sort of a climate action, as I said, there's actually really distinct kind of carbon emission savings that we can associate with food growing. 
But I suppose the third really important reason is all around sort of the health and well-being um, that's associated with, you know, yourself. If you've been in the garden, you know, you never come back in feeling the same as you did when you went out. So um, we sent a submission into the uh, education, the Oxford Committee on Education um, to, I suppose, propose Grow a School as a national programme and very much kind of supporting health and, and well-being. So we appeared in front of the committee there just at the end of last year, um, specifically looking at those of the benefits of Grow School as a um, mental health support in primary and post-primary, actually. Um, so listen, it was great, you know, I suppose, just to, to talk through the, the benefits of the programme with the committee and a report since that they produced has actually identified that, you know, the 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 curriculum should be reviewed at primary and post-primary level to sort of look at including programmes like Grow at School within the within the school curriculum. So that's really, really positive, you know, and that's what you want is to get that sort of recognition at government level. Um, so listen, you know, we, I suppose that's the, the support so far. We would, you know, we would hope to see government support from a financial basis as well. You know, as you mentioned at the top of the show there, you know, we, we need to sort of raise funds to be able to deliver the programme because, I suppose the purpose of it is that Grow School is available to schools at no cost. Um, so we could rely on external funders. So, you know, hopefully we'll see government come on board as well and support us in that respect. Absolutely. And I suppose just to put some numbers behind it for listeners, I see from September of this year, you're hoping to add an extra 500 schools to the programme and a further 1,000 in 2024. Now, each kit costs about 2,000 per school. So really, you're putting a call out for businesses to, to back this programme. So for any business owner that's listening, what can they do to help GIY? Yeah, exactly. So um, we want to have, see Growth School in just over 50% for half of all primary schools, kind of by the 24-25 school year. So we actually at the moment, so yeah, we said that we have just over 130 schools participating at the moment. And we actually own over 600 schools right across the country who want to take part in the programme. They've actually signed up and, and expressed their interest to it. So there's huge interest in schools, which is just brilliant. Um, and I know even in the Midlands there, we have over almost 50 schools um, in the Midlands who have actually told us they want to take part across the leash with me, the Nopoli. And that, so I think for anyone there, you know, we um, ask for support from organisations, you know, maybe you have the ESG or CSR budgets and they want to sort of uh, make a, a donation and support. And um, we'd have a lot of businesses to what they've done is sort of looked at providing, supporting the schools in their area where their offices are or where they, you know, where they operate and really just coming on board, I suppose, as a real sort of mission supporter, you know, and really helping us, uh, helping DIY deliver this programme to schools right across the country. So you can get in touch with us. We're at GIY.ie um, or grow at school at GIY.ie is the email address to get in touch if anyone wants to reach out and just learn a little bit more about, you know, the number of schools we have in the area and how you can come on board and help us deliver what we think is a really, really, really important programme. Absolutely. It's fantastic as well. And say some great uh, data and um, some big numbers there behind that programme already. So it's well established and it's ready mm-hmm. to roll out. And uh, by all accounts, you're getting there. But that extra bit of funding, as you say, maybe someone listening, looking at really bolstering their ESG, you could get behind you there as well. You've given all the details. Nell, it's been fantastic talking to you. All the very best with it. And I look forward to hearing more on it in the future. Thanks, Alan. That's Nell Ward, our Director of De- Development at GIY. Really interesting programme. And again, it shows what can be done 
at a, for want of a better expression, a grassroots level, right back with our primary school children and teaching them about food and all the, the mental health benefits that come from that and that engagement with, with the soil and with nature and with, with, with food provenance, etc. Fantastic stuff, GIY.ie. Time for a short break. After that, we're going to look at psychological safety in the workplace. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come on Taking Care of Business, the Board of Mona will be along to talk about their commitment to climate action and they have a fascinating conference coming up on the 1st of June. It's called Ireland's Sustainable Future. So Sharon Doyle, Head of HR and Corporate Affairs and Elaine Negi, Strategic Project Manager, will be along to talk about that conference and about that overall commitment to taking climate action and how they can support other enterprises too in meeting Ireland's climate action targets. Later on I'll be joined by Regina Bushell, the Managing Director of Groveland's Childcare, who's just been elected as Chair of Childhood Services Ireland or an IBEC Trade Association representing that sector. And Regina will detail the support that that sector is in urgent need of in order to kind of sustain and indeed support the very workforce that are we're so reliant on to keep growing the country. And as I say, now there apparently is going to be money in the in the kitty. It'll be interesting to see what that sector will look or where that sector will look for that money to be diverted towards. Before I get to my next guest, I want to say we give a big welcome, I suppose, and as a welcome to the world to a very special little boy, uh, Fionn Carlin was born over the weekend in Mullingar. He is the son of Ray Carlin and Claire Weston of the fantastic Lakeland Kayaks and Skipjack brand in Mullingar. And if you remember, Ray and Claire were on with me on the 14th of February for my Valentine special and they spoke about their own business and what it's like as a couple running a business and living together and all day, every day. And at the time, Claire mentioned how she was expecting, well, Baby Fiona arrived at the weekend and by all accounts and looking at social media he's a hale and hearty young man and apparently mother and baby are doing really well and dad's not doing too bad too. Now if you remember Ray and Claire famously were the couple that got engaged live on the Late Late Show a number of years ago so here I'm wondering with Friday night being uh, Mr Tuberty's swan song I wonder will they be invited back because what a lovely end to that story of having a little baby then to show for it too who knows and of course Ray is never a man to sit still He's going to kayak the full length of the River Shannon, all 300 kilometres uh, in, in June, uh, starting at the end of June, but of course with Brezzy and a few others too, in order to raise money for the charity A Lust for Life. So congrats, um, baby Fionn. And again, a baby, I'm sure, that won't sit still for too long either. Anyway, on to back to business matters, or real present business matters at the minute. And I'm delighted to welcome to studio again, uh, Theresa Hand Campbell. And um, Theresa, of course, of THC Consult. And Theresa is going to come in with me as we started last month on a monthly basis. And we're going to look at co-creating a great place to work where everyone has a role but before that Teresa I have to say a massive congratulations to you as well because just uh, over the last week or two you were awarded an All-Ireland Business Foundation Business All-Star for Organisational Psychology Visionary of the Year 2023 congrats thank you you so much thank you so it's it's great to be a member of the tribe of the All-Ireland Business Foundation and so it has 700 members so it's a, a great opportunity to network and to, to work with others across a variety of, of uh, organisations. And always nice to get that recognition from Yeah, it's lovely. It. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Absolutely. Have you celebrated? You. I have, of course, and I'll continue <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> they, Why uh, not? they have a, 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 a gathering on the 23rd of June in Limerick. So that will be my first real introduction to maybe more networking. Well, many yeah. congratulations. Um, you know, you. so many business around the Midlands have, well, some business have, have achieved that all-star status with them mm. and I know it's always a great moment, it's a great point to check in and go celebrate the successes and mm. use it then to build even further. But you're here this evening to talk to us about psychological safety in the workplace. If I took you right back and say somebody was asking, what is psychological safety? 
Well, it's a concept that has gathered legs since COVID and, and post-COVID in the, in the workplace. It has become the mantra of many executives seeking to delineate themselves as as, as uh, the, the all-stars in innovation, performance, staff attraction and retention. And it's rooted back in the work of a lady called Edmondson, who was doing a doctoral thesis. And she was studying the impact of teamwork um, on medical errors. And she found the correlation between error rates and team effectiveness. And contrary to her predictions, better hospital teams seem to be making more mistakes than weaker ones. You see, how could that be? Why? Because they talked more openly about their mistakes. And they saw them as learning curves. So the positive effect of psychological safety still holds across many other fields. For instance, Google in 2016 found that psychological safety was easily the most important ingredient for effectiveness at team level. Edmondson wrote a book on fearless, the fearless organisation, and that really, really gave impetus to the whole notion of psychological safety. So her definition is being unafraid to disagree with the boss and point out others' mistakes because we care more about the customer, the patient, the quality of the work, than our own ego in the moment. I'm going to suggest the airline aviation industry is probably at the top of the charts when it comes to psychological safety then, if it's that place because you know people listening will know that in the airline industry, if there is an incident or a, an almost an accident or an accident, it's investigated on the basis of eliminating it and making sure it never happens anywhere in the world again rather than blaming. So Absolutely. is this trying to effectively just remove a blame culture? Because I can put my hand up and say I worked in a company once where the blame game, yeah. one person used to refer to it as the jungle drum that used to start beating. <laughs> like, you know. um, but in the aviation, crew resource management had cut the number of airline crashes by reducing this notion of deference and referring to somebody as superior and stimulating more openness in communication. So you're right on, you're dead on there. Mm-hmm. And the the Toyota, for instance, they had the old and on cord, which was the the safety valve that a worker on the on the production line could pull if there was uh, an error showing up. So uh, Warner Music they are, have introduced a programme inducting 1,500 managers in the whole notion of psychological safety. Now, one bugbear is the misunderstanding that mo- it most vexes this originator of the term, and it's the equation of psychological safety with job security. Mm-hmm. So this notion of keep your mouth shut and the, you won't endanger your job or your status in the organisation. And that's the antithesis to really what she okay, wants so to don't achieve. Be, don't be the person that puts your head above the parapet, you know, yes. maybe stick and, you know, which again, obviously would indicate an area where psychological safety doesn't exist. Uh-huh. You've mentioned some massive companies, huge organisations yes. and sectors there. Take it right back to a small local business. Mm-hmm. How can they... How can they do a quick check to see if they believe there's a psychological safety within their workplace? It's it's all based on trust and the level of trust there is right across all the different stratas of an organisation. It's all around the need to feel included, safe to learn, safe to contribute and safe to challenge the status quo. And if you have that level of honesty and 
as I say, functional conflict as opposed to dysfunctional conflict. In actual fact, the outcome is that it creates more cohesiveness, heightened engagement in the workplace, a greater a greater likelihood that the person who's not feeling too well in the morning will actually say to hell with it, I'm going in. I'd miss work today. And that notion of uh, going the long mile with an organisation, having loyalty to them. Mm. Yeah. So when you start bringing in things like trust as well, which obviously fits in with that, how mm. how can you test trust levels in a workplace? Is that possible? It's very often. Without the staff it, thinking you're trying to catch them out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they, they say, actually, the COVID period was a great period for strong potentials and emergent leaders to come out of the woodwork where they pulled up their sleeves and said, here, how can I help? And yes. that actually engendered greater trust among and and the organisations that were strong in trust seemed to survive better than the organisations who weren't. If you have an organisation that are not strong in trust, you've got a division, mm. and uh, you have more likelihood that each individual is in it for themselves. And when things go wrong, they're less likely to show up. So, I think by speaking openly, by giving recognition to those who deserve it by not taking the praise for something else that's it's something that somebody else did, by having a democratic style of leadership, that notion of you you know that there's something wrong, getting your folk around the table and saying, right, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Let's plan it together going forward. And if it goes belly up, we'll come back to the table. And that eliminates the blame game. I have found in going into organisations and in interviewing people and getting their feedback the one thing that comes out is I hate when I'm blamed in the wrong and the boss doesn't have the backbone to come back and say, well, I'm sorry. They say that showing vulnerability from the executive's point, if you show vulnerability and the ability to say I'm sorry, you show your emotional intelligence, you're far more likely to gather a true following. So in order to be a leader of worth, you can't be a leader without followers. Mm. And that's very often, very often ego gets in the way. The leader must realise I can't be a leader and have a healthy workplace without my followers and followers who believe in me. Absolutely. And just when you refer back to the COVID period and we saw it firsthand or I saw it firsthand at the station as well where people turned around and said, what can we do? You know, because nobody knew what was happening and what way things would be, would we be allowed on air? And I know a lot of people, and I heard this kind of after, you know, it all had settled down, that lots of people came and said, what can we do and what role can we play in it? Mm. And I think, absolutely, I think the station emerged really strong from it, like even stronger Mm. than it had been. Well, it shows who was who and who was loyal and who was in it uh, with a, a, a growth mindset and that notion of being part of a team and looking out for each other. Even the calls to each other when you weren't meeting face to face to say you're right yeah. or I saw you were looking a bit worried on the last Zoom can I help you? When it comes to psychological safety in the workplace then you've suggested that uh, maybe th- there can be a psychological contract put in place what is that? Is that a paper there's, exercise now or is that no. just a there's a, psych- there's a there's an unspoken psychological contract that very few people are even aware of it it's The psychological contracting between an individual and the organisation is the invisible glue which binds the individuals to the organisation over time. And it incorporates the party's beliefs and their values, their expectations and their aspirations. So if you could picture the iceberg effect, you can see the tip of the iceberg. 
but it's what's lurking beneath the water that you need to watch. Mm-hmm. So I'm working for you. I give it my best. I say to you, right, Ronan, Wednesday evening I can give two hours after work to help you out to clear the backlog. I give my best and beyond it. But what we call the occupational citizenship behaviours, the OCBs. And deep down, I reckon next time there's uh, maybe a, a promotion coming up or if I want to do a bit of CPD that I like in an area I like, I'll be raised to do this. I will be looked upon favourably. It's all glued together again by trust. But if you fail to come up trumps from me, I'll pull back a bit. I say, right, no, am I, I, I being a fool here? And the, a little bit of a hiatus occurs. Now, there is a, when I say it's in the eye of the beholder, I give to you what I expect back. So it's mm-hmm. a quid pro quo, tit for tat. But if you fail on your end or I perceive that you're failing, I will pull back. So they, it begins, they actually reckon the psychological contract begins at the point of interview. So I'm sitting on this side of the table mm-hmm. and the interviewing panel are on the other side. I'm, it's a two-way exchange. I'm watching to try and get a vibe as to what the culture of the workplace would be like and would I fit in. You're trying to sum me up with your, obviously, with your uh, workplace in mind and wondering, well, would Teresa fit in? Do you, would, she, would she fit in? Would she promote the, 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 the culture we have in the organisation, etc.? Mm-hmm. Now, I may decide when you give me a buzz offering me the job, well, Ronan, actually, I don't think I will accept and I actually did that at the age of 20 when I was offered a permanent job on my own home ground and the man would not give me a half an hour to uh, think about the job. He said, no, he was in a hurry. And instinctively, I said, uh, I don't think I could work for you. Mm. Now, those around me were horrified, but it was a right, in, in looking back, it was a right decision for me because I knew I wouldn't fit. So there's a whole concept in organisational psychology and we call it fitting the man to the job and fitting the job to the man. Yeah. And it's central to get it right. And you know, I suspect with a lot of companies and business owners who are listening across the Midlands right now, there is a psychological contract in place that if somebody needed maybe a prolonged period of sick leave, it may not be contracted or in the handbook, but they know the company has their back when that time comes. And and I think that is probably quite common and it's not on paper. And often, you know, when we hear of new legislation coming in or new guidance around sick leave or whatever else, um, they often say, well, look, the big companies will be able to to do that. The smaller companies won't, but the smaller companies have a way of doing it. And I think it is exactly back that you talk contract. about leadership, you know, that's affiliative leadership where people matter. Mm. But I was, I was actually giving a course to a, a group of managers today and I laughed in, in thinking back on how I developed my leadership style. I got a leadership role at 26 and I thought I was the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even started learning. But one thing I learned from 30 years of leadership, it's heart and soul stuff. Mm. It's emotional intelligence and it's your ability to embrace the human in it, uh, sitting opposite you and to literally your daytime family to embrace them and mind them along the way. And it's repeat a thousandfold. 
Well, I think you've given us a nice strong hint as to where we could go next month with our session because I think leadership and that whole concept of whether leaders are born or made, mm. you certainly sound like you've got that direct experience yourself. Absolutely. From that. I know we'd, I'd mentioned at the start of the show we might look at the whole diversity and inclusion. I think we've gone we've, we've gone deep into psychological contracts so we're going to call it a halt for this month sure. but it has been absolutely fascinating so I think yeah. maybe next month we will look at leadership and I'm sure the DEI will fit into that as yeah, well. Yeah. But for now, Teresa, once again, many congrats on your all-star. Ah, thank I'm you so much. looking forward to catching up with you again next month. Lovely. I if, really enjoyed that. Thank you. If you want to find out more about Teresa's business, thcconsult.ie. Teresa's based in Glebe House at Lone County, Roscommon. And uh, as I say, recently accredited with an all-star. So congratulations there. Time for a quick break. After that, you're going to find out about Bournemouth's commitment to climate action. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come, I'll be talking to Regina Bushell and Regina has recently been elected as the Chair of Childhood Services Ireland and she'll outline in in detail the key challenges that are facing that sector at the minute and has been well publicised everywhere that the cost of childcare in this country at present is becoming prohibitive for a lot of people, particularly families where there are two working parents. But another thing that is also always in the news too is that whole area of climate action and what businesses can do in order to try to help us meet our national climate action targets. Well, one company, you know, based in the Midlands here and has had a huge impact and importance in the Midlands over the last 50 or 60 years is Board Namona and they have a conference coming up on the 1st of June. So to find out more about that, I'm delighted to be joined by Elaine Negi. Elaine is um, the Strategic Projects Director at Board Namona. Very good evening, Elaine. Good evening, Ronan. How are you? Elaine, can you tell us more about, I suppose, this is based around Accelerate Green and a few listeners are probably familiar. I had Brendan Cleary on last year from Etica Planet talking about his experience on the programme. Can you give us a little bit of a recap on the Accelerator programme and maybe of some of the companies who are currently participating in it? Absolutely, yeah. So since we last spoke ourselves, actually, we've, we've run the, we've run the programme. Um, it's Ireland's first green innovator, Accelerator. Um, and it's developed in partnership with Erin Innovation, but it's dedicated to companies who are looking to develop products and services based on green innovation in response to climate action and sustainability challenges. We were specifically looking for companies who are, um, they could be established, but they're maybe looking to scale. Um, they could be climate tech companies, high growth SMEs who are maybe pivoting to climate change economy. We also were happy to take in earlier stage companies as well. And we had a particular emphasis on looking for companies through the Midlands. So since I did last speak to you, I've had the absolute privilege of working with eight amazing companies who are really breaking, breaking through and trying to um, you know, tackle, tackle climate change in their own unique and innovative way. Um, just to tell you maybe a bit about some of them companies, if I can, Ronan. Yeah, maybe uh, just give us a quick had, overview of two or three, possibly, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, all these companies are going to be at our conference, which is coming up on the 1st of um, June in the Tullamore Court Hotel. Uh, but to give you a brief synopsis on them all, we have Nanobox. Um, they look, they've developed water oxygenation technology, um, and that's for a range of different bioprocesses like wastewater treatment, aquaculture, crop cultivation. And their, their technology means that uh, water can be oxygenated 10 times quicker than current efficiencies, reducing the energy, efficient, the energy required. Um, we have Negase as well, um, and they've developed a direct-to-air capture technology to capture carbon directly from the air and convert it into a new ingredient um, that can be used in carbonated soft or carbonated soft drinks or uh, other food products that would use carbon typically. 
Um, so they're looking to reduce um, the carbon emissions into the air by about 330 tonnes a year. We've EC charging, uh, rolling out a network of charging points for EV cars um, and vehicles throughout Ireland. Happy Earth, who are uh, a very interesting company. They have developed new compostable uh, PPE medical grade wear to remove the single-use PPE out of the um, healthcare system. Well, I mean, you, you're, uh, you're talking there. I mean, those companies you're touching already, like they really are at that kind of cutting edge of, of what can be done and changes that can be made in, in terms of the climate action as well. And I think what really people find fascinating is you can be at any stage of development there, even your startup, or you can be a well-established company too. And um, there's quite a bit of money goes behind this from Board Mona. Can you kind of give us a, a sense of, of the, the amount of investment Board Mona put into it? Yeah, so Borden and Bona put a huge amount of investment in this, both by way of finances and resources as well. Uh, we've made ourselves extremely available across all of our business units to these companies um, and allowed them to connect with really relevant expertise for, to support them in their business initiatives and allow them to grow and learn from what we have gone through, through our transformation. Over the next three years, Borden and Bona have committed to putting five million investment into this, and, and that's quite a staggering amount. Um, by way of uh, you know innovation pipeline for the company, um, it's something that we're very passionate about, and we you know I think that marks our commitment to developing these companies and enabling them to take the learnings from the transformations that we've been through in our pivot into sustainability. And there's also um, that learning piece as well from from other contributors, other participants, but also the, the panel of experts you bring in. Um, but you mentioned, Elaine, this yeah. is culminating in the conference that's taking place on the 1st it of is. June. Uh, take us through some of the key details on that, if you can, and, and what you've learned yeah, for the day. Very high level, then. We have Cara Gustenberg conferencing, uh, our MC in the conference for us on the 1st of June in the Tullamore Court Hotel. Um, it's, a, it's a big conference. About 300 delegates uh, are expected. We have... Minister Dara Kaliri addressing the uh, delegation, Stephen Kinsler, a very well-known professor of economics in the University of Limerick, uh, is one of our keynote speakers as well. Uh, we'll have three discussion panels, uh, including people like uh, John Riley, who's the head of our Renewable Business Unit, and um, the Managing Director for Ocean Winds, Angela Larkin, on a panel. Um, and then we have another, so that's looking at energy from the production side of things. Then we'd be looking at big demand uh, renewable energy consumers like Amazon um, and we have their director of energy for EMEA on uh, a panel with uh, Matt Kennedy who is the sustainable development lead for Arup uh, alongside Lorraine Fitzgerald from Glenvay Properties. And then the third panel that we have looks at uh, sustainability as the new model, new business model and uh, we'll be talking to Derarka Dennis and Paul, Wright, Paul Price, director there from EY, and Paul Price, the founder of Haven Green. Um, and then, of course, we have our eight companies uh, all presenting at the event itself. We have a sustained train travelling in from Dublin. We have um, a networking reception post-conference to enable people to meet with the various different speakers and um, panellists as well so it's all kind of mounting up to be a great day kicking That's off at a, 10 o'clock absolutely no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating list of speakers as well and I mean it sounds to be right on the money in terms of, of what's topical at the minute but I suppose to bring into this conversation I'd like to bring in Sharon Doyle Head of HR and Corporate Affairs at Board Namona and Sharon I guess Elaine has kind of put it out there like a, a 5 million commitment at least over the next 3 years 
for the Accelerate Green programme alone that really is kind of a setting board, outboard Nimona's stall in terms of the role it can play in changing attitudes and how companies engage with climate action? Absolutely, Ronan. I suppose over the past five years, we've been on our own ground to green transition and we've put sustainability at the heart of everything we do. And we see, I suppose, a key element of our mission is to lead that way and help Ireland imagine engages with climate action. And I think, you know, Elaine outlined the Accelerate Green programme and we see that as an opportunity for us to support green innovators and businesses in, in across the company and build a bigger community of sustainability-focused businesses. And that's really key feature of Ireland and the economy. And I suppose, dare I say, it's probably nearly almost a, a part of the whole, like even like the Just Transition thing, where people look at saying, right, the number of potential jobs lost when Pete Harvey comes to an end versus how they're recreated. But in creating newer indigenous companies around the Midlands, you're probably going to maybe create even more roles than were, than were originally in, in the company. Absolutely, Roland. I think, you know, our been on a path to expand our renewable energy solutions across wind, hydrogen, solar, etc. You know, as part of all projects, you have both direct and indirect jobs, you know, indirect jobs in terms of construction, and you have direct jobs for, I suppose, high-quality engineers, professionals, etc., across a wide range of areas. Um, and, you know, in terms of the accelerating companies and other sustainable companies, the shape of employment has changed and will continue to change across the Midlands. But it's a great opportunity for graduates that are going through courses in, you know, TU, et cetera, where they have studied sustainability and they can bring a new perspective to the companies that they're joining. And certainly anybody with a new innovation or new idea, even after that, that kind of pre-start or pre-revenue stage to know that there are mechanisms and funding opportunities available, that can be absolutely fundamental to getting those businesses off the ground. And, and who knows, creating obviously an export business, be it a service business or an actual product down the line. So Board Namona definitely remains committed to it. Sharon, the line has been breaking up a little bit on it there, so I'm going to actually leave it there with you. But thank you for coming on with me this evening. And um, very much looking forward to that conference on the 1st of June. And uh, to Elaine as well, thank you so much for that comprehensive overview of the Accelerate Green programme and indeed the conference has taken place on the 1st of June as well and that fantastic line of speakers and uh, look I think uh, credit goes to Board Namona for the Accelerate Green programme and uh, thank you both for coming on this evening. Thanks very much Ronan um, and just to add uh, sorry I just want to say one more point on what you're asking Sharon about in terms of employment so these the companies that have gone before so far have had about uh, 72 new jobs created since coming on to Accelerate Green Um throughout Ireland so we're expecting to see more great things coming out of this cohort as well and we'll make sure we keep you posted on that Please do that's a fantastic outcome well done and we look forward to hearing more about that conference on the 1st of June that's Elaine Negi there a Strategic Project Manager Board of Moan and of course Sharon Doyle Head of HR and Corporate Affairs Time for a short break after that Regina Bushell will be along to talk about the challenges that exist in the childcare sector especially now that she's been elected as Chair of Childhood Services Ireland and IBEC Group that uh, looks at lobbying for that sector Talk to you all very shortly Taking care of business with thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. At Lone, Regina Bushell has just been elected or appointed as Chair of Childhood Services Ireland. It's an IBEC trade association that represents that sector right across the country. And Regina, of course, 
is no better no better person versed to talk about that sector um, as the MD of Groveland's childcare. It's been running for over 30 years and a real innovator in that sector. And uh, Regina has never been backward in terms of outlining the, the challenges that that sector faces, particularly from a funding perspective and in getting new talent in and training up the very people that they need to deliver the care and services to those most special people in all our lives. Regina joins me now. Well, Regina, will I congratulate you on your appointment or is it more work for you? <laughs> It's, it's more work for me, but something I don't actually mind doing because I joined IBEC a number of years ago with the intention and looking at the fact that they were going to be able to support us in the negotiations I could see that were coming down the track around the Joint Labour Committee Group where you know, we were engaged to ensure the interests of the childcare providers are protected in any potential negotiations with regards to staff terms and conditions within the sector. And the staff terms and conditions within the sector need to improve because for the last number of years, um, you know, more money hasn't been put in by the department uh, to support staff and their paying conditions. And you know, it is really positive that they have done that last year um, in the 2022 budget. Um, and the 2023 budget, I understand that you know more supports will go for parents, which is very is, is very good. But it's extremely challenging for services who are still in a fee freeze, where we can't increase our fees, and some services haven't increased them uh, since pre. Uh, I'd say for about two or three years, um, maybe pre-COVID, and they're a little bit stressed at the moment. So we're hoping something will support that. Um, obviously, I mentioned the, the Joint Labour Court Group. That, that is um, something that we're continuously working on, and hopefully more funds and support will come in for that. The workforce development uh, side of it is really important for us as well, where you know, the pathways are opened up for staff to come in and train in, in the sector. And getting staff at the moment, like in every sector right across the country, is a huge challenge for us. And retaining that staff, of course, is also a challenge. And finding accommodation for them is, is also a challenge. So those things are, are impacting at, at the moment. Um, you know, sustainability of services in the fee freeze is, is a major challenge for a lot of services out there. But it's also, we know that the cost of childcare is a challenge for parents. And um, hopefully we will see an increase maybe in the budget in the 2023 budget coming for parents on, on the cost of childcare because quality childcare costs and there is no two ways around that. And I have continuously said there's only two ways that we would either have to increase fees or, or the government would actually continue to support it. And thankfully, they are, they are supporting it, but more is needed. That because is the, the be, challenge there at the be, moment. Believe, you know? it or, believe it or not, in May, like, you know, Will Faulkner was talking to different people today, and already there's talks of kite flying happening, you know, in terms of sitting TDs and ministers beginning to talk about what may come in the budget as well. Is there an opportunity, do you think, this year in particular, given that we have a government that is looking at re-election in the next year or two, look, trying to get back in again, but also there's talk of this budget surplus. Is there something kind of almost uh, seismic that can be done now to sort of correct these issues and just finish it forever? Because we've also got a growing population that's exceeded to tip seven or eight million in the next 10 or 15 years. So like huge potential problems coming. Yes, you can see there that there certainly it's a, it's, it's the cost of childcare is a challenge for parents. I'm sure the government are probably looking at everything that, you know, a lot of people are looking for money and and. We need to ensure, though, that if, if families, if it's their choice, 
to go to work, that they can afford to be at work where the cost of their childcare is concerned. So that's an economical, um, what would I say, challenge there for them, that the more people they have at work, obviously the more taxes are going into them as well. So it's really, in, in, um, it's really important that they support families you know, who, who want to work and that they absolutely ensure that there is enough childcare there and that that childcare is sustainable, not just sustainable, but that people are getting appreciated for the work that has to go in because it's not a nine-to-five job. It's a 24-hour-a-day job, seven days a week, sometimes depending on what's going on in the service. So there is, there is a, a huge challenge uh, there. But yes, I think they need to step up. They need to look at what parents are saying to them. And I'm sure the parents will be talking to them on the doorsteps in the next, in the next election. But like it is, it is, you know, you have to give praise for praise as you a bit too. There has the government, and I think in particular Roderick Gorman as Minister for Children, he is extremely committed to ensuring that the whole childcare sector improves. But at the same time, the need to ensure, from my perspective and the perspective of those of us who are employers in this sector, that we're supported as well to continue to provide quality services right across the country and grow our services as well. Um, so all, all of those things are really important. And I suppose this is why I joined CESI. I'm working directly uh, with Dara Whelan, who is the CEO of Childcare Services Ireland. And he's extremely committed as well to improving um, the professionalism of the sector, improving what we do. And IBEC is a really strong voice for us. And it really, it, it is the right way to go for me and I think for providers all around the country. They're negotiating our, on our behalf. And as you know, they're very good at doing that. Absolutely. Well, IBEC are also gaining as well because having somebody with your own experience in that sector coming from day one, basically in your own house to what you've grown now, um, huge voice to lend. And absolutely, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next six months, the next couple of years with it. But for now, Regina, thank you so much for coming on and all the very best with that, with that additional new role that you have. Thank you, Roman. Thanks That's for talking to me. Regina Bushell there, the Managing Director of Groveland's Childcare and also now the Chair of Childhood Services Ireland. And again, a sector that, I mean, it's often sometimes we, we, we forget this, the huge role it plays in our whole economic development and something that has to be gotten right as well. Well, anyway, hopefully this evening was of interest to you and was informative. Niall O'Keefe is up next with Country Roads. I'll talk to you next week at 7. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.